In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the second Sunday of the resurrection, and in the gospel reading today, we read about how Christ is speaking about himself as being the bread of life, which means that he is the sustenance for all of the believers and all of human beings, because he is the bread that gives life to everyone. And so when we think about this matter of him being the bread of life, and he uses the analogy of bread to mean food, and just as the human body cannot live without the physical bread, the physical food, so also our spiritual body cannot exist, cannot live without the bread, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us something about the importance and the necessity of pursuing the spiritual goals and the spiritual life. And even though in our physical bodies, if we were to neglect it, uh, we would very quickly see the effects. We would feel sick. We would feel as though that we are not well. Um, maybe our bodies would begin to shut down, and ultimately we know that if a person stops eating, then they will eventually die. And yet when our spiritual life, when we consider the spiritual life, um, I wonder if we look at it in this way. Sometimes we go for long periods of time without feeding ourselves spiritually, and because our life continues, and because our daily work continues, and our daily routine continues, and everything about our life seems pretty normal, we are unaware or do not realize how maybe our spirit is dying, how our spirit is being neglected, how we are not feeding the spirit. And so the Lord Jesus says to us today about how he is the bread of life, and he speaks to us about the will of the Father for our salvation and the whole process of salvation, and why is it that the Lord Christ came and incarnated for us to begin with, which is to offer us this bread. And we partake of this bread in the communion and the liturgy when we partake of his body and blood, and he is our sustenance. He is what makes us to be alive. And so for us, our spiritual um, activities should be uh, like the number one priority in our life. Because even though, yes, we are concerned with this world and this life and our body and the things that are in this world, because we, by necessity, we have to in order to survive. And yet this should not be the place where we want to remain. This should not be the only thing that I do is I invest in my body, I invest in my physical life in this physical world and neglect the spiritual. The Lord said in the gospel today in verses 39 and 40, he says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So I want to speak a little bit about this verse, because it reveals to us what is the will of the Father for us, what is the will of God for us. Even though, yes, he, his original will for us, which was to create us and put us in the garden, and in this garden we would enjoy him, and we would enjoy everything that our bodies and our spirits need, and that we would live in harmony and peace and joy. And yet, unfortunately, because of our sin, we became separated from God, and this original plan and this original design was no longer possible. And yet now, while we are still in this world that is filled with all kinds of corruption and darkness, God does not leave us here, but he wants us to come back to him, to be restored to him. And so here the Lord is speaking about this desire of God, the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? The original will of the Father was that we would never have to experience suffering or death or pain or hunger or thirst or any of these things that we experience here in the world. This was his original desire for us. And yet, even though this is the situation that we find ourselves in now, God also has a will to bring us back again. So how can we understand this verse um, that the Lord speaks here? So he starts by saying, this is the will of the Father. Does God take pleasure in punishing sinners? 
Does God take pleasure in our suffering? Sometimes we, even when we speak about how God has, um, God turns every uh, situation for our good, and we speak about how um, the Lord allows us to have trials in our life, does this mean that the Lord wants us to feel pain? Does this mean that God is, is, is happy with the state of things as they are and that we are, are um, experiencing such suffering in the world, even though he can turn it for good? No, actually, even when it comes to the wicked people, we read in Ezekiel 18, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? The Lord wants us all to live. And to live doesn't just mean to live in the body. It means to live in the spirit, to live eternally, and to live not just to exist, not just to survive, but to live abundantly, to live joyfully, to live with a, with a sense of joy and renewed happiness each and every day. God created for us this in paradise. This is why we call it paradise. And what do we look forward to in heaven? Is we look forward to a place where grief, sorrow, and groaning have fled away. This is what we look forward to. And so this is the will of the Father for us. The will is of the Father is for our salvation, is for our union with him. And we have to remember this all throughout our life, that even though we find ourselves struggling and we find ourselves even pushing ourselves to do our spiritual work because of the corruption in our, in our, in our minds and in our hearts that tells us that even the prayer that brings us closer to God is difficult. And, and yet this is because of we have a disease. Our disease, this corruption that is in the world, that is also in us, that when we stand to pray, when we stand to do something useful for God, when we want to read his word, that anything good that we do, there is resistance. There is temptation. There is attack. There is laziness. There is distraction. That all these things that are fighting against us and maybe making even these activities that are life-giving, that even partaking of this bread of life is difficult. Why is it that if God is offering us the bread of life, which is truly our own sustenance, why is it that when we come to liturgy in the morning, maybe we're grumbling? Why is it that we are tired? Why is it that we do not wake up on Sunday morning completely refreshed and excited and ready to come to the church and to pray and to partake of this bread of life if we truly believe that it is really life-giving as the Lord said? It is because we are fighting against the flesh. It is because we are fighting against corruption that maybe with my mind I understand that this is true and that this is indeed life-giving and right and yet with my body I struggle. I struggle to attain it and I struggle to do it. But this doesn't take away from its power. We come and we partake of the bread of life. This is the will of God for us and for all people that no one would perish but come to everlasting life. The second part of the verse makes it clear that the Father sent the Son. The Father sent the Son. This holds the whole reason for the incarnation, for the crucifixion, for the resurrection. This was the, 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 the plan of salvation for God for us. He speaks about the cross the Lord does in John chapter 12, and he says, My soul, uh, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. This was the very purpose of the incarnation, for the Lord to come and, and to, to reveal to us and to carry out this plan of salvation for all of us. So it is clear that the Father is the one who sent the Son. God is the one who is behind all of this process of salvation for all of us, that we would enjoy him, that we would be with him, that we would put away from us all of the worries and all of the cares and all of the sufferings that are in the world in order to embrace him and to accept from him this gift of salvation that he has offered to us all. The third point in this verse is it says what? That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Of all that he has given me, 
he should, uh, I should lose nothing. This is the son speaking. Also the Lord said, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The Lord is our caretaker. He is our shepherd. He is our father. He is the one to whom all of the world has been entrusted. This is his mission, that he came to earth with the, with, the, with the feeling that all of the world is his responsibility, that all of the world is under his care, that he is called to save the entire world, not only individuals, not only certain people, everyone, the, the whole world is under his care. And even though he had to go through suffering and pain in order to get to this point, in order for the, the crucifixion to happen and ultimately the resurrection, he went through it for our sake. The Lord did not come simply as a teacher, right? Many of the teachings of Christ, Christ could have sent prophets in order to teach. He could have sent other teachers and apostles and so on in order to teach us the word of God. And certainly all of the books of the Bible that we have written were written by human beings in order for us to read them and understand the word of God. But the primary reason that the Lord came was in order to sacrifice himself for us. This is how he has been entrusted with all of us. He has been entrusted and he carried out his mission faithfully for our salvation. Again, he is the bread of life. Every action, every word, everything that he does is for the purpose of our salvation. Everything that he did in the world, the Lord did not take a break. The Lord did not take a vacation. Everything he did was for the purpose of our salvation. And then it says what, but should raise it up at the last day. Speaking about the last day of the world, the day of judgment, this final fulfillment of salvation is in the resurrection of the bodies, that we believe in the general resurrection at the last time that the Lord will raise up all of the bodies from the dead, all of our bodies be reunited again with our spirits and that we could spend eternity with the Lord. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is our true desire. Our true desire is to be with the Lord. And the apostles, even when they were living with Christ, this is what they desired. This is what they wanted, to be with the Lord. This is why when the Lord left them, this is why when the Lord went and ascended to heaven, they were sorrowful because he was leaving them. But he comforted them and said, what? No, I am sending you the helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Do not be, uh, do not be sorrowful, right? Do we live our lives with this day in mind? This is a question for us. Do we live our lives with this day in mind or only thinking about next week? We're only thinking about tomorrow. We're only thinking about today. Or maybe we're thinking about yesterday. What are we thinking about? What is my focus? Am I thinking about this last day? Are we thinking about this place that the Lord has prepared for us? What does this place that the Lord has prepared for us look like? What are its characteristics? You know, is it something that I'm seeking to attain? Am I living my life in such a way as I could attain it, just like St. Paul said, that he runs a race in such a way that he may obtain the prize? Is this the way that we are choosing to live our life? The Lord said that he wants us to be with him in the place where he is. And if this is truly our desire, that we would be with the Lord in wherever place he is, then we will follow him no matter where he goes. If, if we have to follow him to the cross, we will follow him to the cross. If we have to follow him to paradise, we will follow him to paradise. We do not want to be in heaven simply because it is called heaven. We want to be there because this is where the Lord is, that he prepares a place for us and we go to him wherever he might lead. Finally, in the last part, um, it's important for us to, to remember that those who believe in the Son are the ones that are saved. Those who believe in the Son are the ones that are saved. Those who partake of the bread of life. God offers this life to everyone, to every person it is offered, to the entire world it is often. But our spiritual struggle is to realize the resurrection 
and to, to believe in it and to live it out even while we are here still on earth. And those who believe in the Lord live according to his commandments, right? And so we are called to, to ask ourselves, what is this type of life that we are living? In what way should we live? In what way and why should we do what we do? This life is very stressful and we find ourselves pulled in every which direction and all of our responsibilities and all of our anxieties and our worries and our concerns and all of the confusion that there exists in the world. And maybe all the institutions that we used to place our trust in, we find now that we cannot place our trust in them. Maybe they are not trustworthy. All of the people in the world that we can place our trust in, maybe we find that they are unworthy of our trust. And so we ask ourselves, where, where do we place our hope in this world? Where, where, what institution do we place our hope in? What politician, what person, what leader do we place our trust in? We are here in this place um, like as though we are been exiled from our, from our country. We have been exiled. And the Lord speaks about this example. And King David speaks about this example in the Psalms as being exiled from his home country. Exiled to, to, um, to exile, like in a faraway place, in a place that does not fear God, in a place that does not love God. In what way then can we remain faithful to the Lord even while we are here? It takes a lot of effort. And it takes a, a, a conscious and deliberate choice that we choose to live according to God's principles and not according to the principles of the world. In Ephesians, it says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When God sends us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and that the Holy Spirit that we receive in our chrismation on the day of our baptism, this seal is a guarantee of our inheritance. It's like God is telling us, even though you are living here in this world, and even though this world is full of corruption and darkness, and yet I am promising you that I have prepared a place for you. I promise you that there is a place laid up for you and that there is salvation offered to you that if you remain faithful to me throughout your life, that you will inherit and receive all of this that has been laid up and prepared for you. This is what the, the, the chrismation and the seal of the Holy Spirit is about. God is giving us a promise. He's saying, you are mine, and I am yours. I am your father. You live according to my ways. You live in a way such that you, uh, that you receive me as the bread of life all throughout your life, and I promise that there is a place that is laid up for you. Also in Titus, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is the Lord appearing to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so certainly our hope comes in the Lord. Our hope does not come in any worldly institution or leader or power or person. Our hope comes in the Lord, who is the one who can carry us, through all of the difficulties and challenges that are here, and ultimately to protect us from the temptation of the enemy who seeks to destroy us, to derail, to derail us, to derail us as individuals, and to derail the church as a whole, to make us to be filled with doubts, to make us to be filled with anger and hatred, to make there be dissension and, and infighting and conflict between the people in the church. Any way that the devil seeks to destroy this house of God, because this is the house where the bread of life lives. This is the place where we partake of that bread of life, the one that the Lord is offering to us. We should place the church above our heads. This is the place that the Lord has set apart in this world 
that no matter how dark the world becomes and how corrupted the world becomes, this is the place of salvation. This is the place where we come and partake of the body and blood of the Lord. This is the place where we meet with other believers and remind ourselves of who we are, of what we are called for. You know, this is, this is an important thing. And this is actually, maybe as an aside, during this past year, we've had to do many things online. We've had to do many things remotely, out of necessity. But this is not the way of, of the church. This is not the way of the church. The very nature of the church, it's not just about teaching. It's not just about, let me listen to a sermon. It's not just about fill my head with knowledge, in which case I can do that while I'm at home, and I can listen to a sermon from a million different sources all over the world, and I never even have to leave my house. This is good that we have access to this, that we can do this. But this is not the primary work of the church. It's not only just to teach. It is the communion. And I don't just mean the sacrament of communion and the altar. I mean also the communion with one another. That in order for the church to be strong, we have to be united together with one mind and with one heart, with one faith. And in everything that we do, we do it together. When we have a picnic, for instance, in the church, is this just about going and having fun at the picnic? Is this just about, okay, the weather is nice, let's go to the park? That is not what it is about. Anyone can go to the park at any time on their own. Any social activity or fellowship activity that we have in the church, the goal of it is to unite us as one in order to fight against what? The enemy, because the enemy seeks to divide us. And the more opportunities that we have, come to the Bible study in person to have fellowship with one another, to feel like we are one body, to come to uh, and listen to sermons in person, to come to the hymns classes in person, to do everything in person, right? It is, has a completely different flavor, has a completely different purpose than simply listening to something online. This is the power of the church, and in, 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 in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of us, is the Lord Jesus Christ on the altar. So in conclusion, God continually seeks us out as a good father who does not want us to be away from him. And we celebrate now the resurrection of Christ, which is the fulfillment of the plan of salvation that God had ordained even from the very beginning at the time of the fall. We remind ourselves of the hope that we have in him. We remind ourselves to be patient and to wait and to follow the shepherd who is leading us to the heavenly kingdom. And may God grant us to see him always before our eyes and glory be to God forever. Amen.